They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Elliot, you've been uh, you've been watching the World Cup any <laughs> this week and last week? Nope. Uh, although I've been I have been soliciting regular updates from Dad about it. Dad, there's your uh, there's your sh- another shout out for you. I'll give you two this month. Uh, you're welcome. He he's following the World Cup very closely, so I I do ask him about who's up, who's down, who's uh, who's been getting the upsets, lots and lots of upsets, like big legitimate upsets this year, as I'm led to believe. Yeah, lots of big upsets at the beginning. I've been following it. I don't usually watch soccer, but I have to Sorry, sorry, it's uh it's it's football actually. All right. All right, Elliot. I had to watch it while I was home because dad kept making us watch it, and I actually got really into it. So I've the last couple I watched the US game which was epic. The U.S. guy who scored lost use of his testicles, I think, after scoring because <laughs> his groin ran into the knee of the goalie after he scored. <laughs> and then he was... Well, this all is the a family-friendly podcast. Well, I'm just, I, I use the anatomical terms. Shameful. It was kind of funny, though, because it wasn't funny. Like, it was unfortunate that he got hurt. But while the rest of his team was celebrating because they were going to, right, advance to the next stage, he was rolling around in the goal holding holding his genitalia. And you found this amusing? I found it a little amusing. I don't know. It's like watching a Will Ferrell movie, you know? It's dumb, but it's kind of funny. I actually don't much care for Will Ferrell movies. The Lego movie? That's not a Will Ferrell movie. It, it, He's in it's it, not. though. Okay. No. Well, that's great, Nathan. That's very that's very base, very juvenile of you. I'm glad you. Uh, uh, I'm glad you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I just thought we should let our fans know that we do things other than just watch movies, right? We watch sports. We're kind of sporty fellas as well as movie fellas. Yeah, especially when there's slapstick comedy involved. Okay, all right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, This week we are doing Glass Onion, a Knives Out story. So we... Uh, We went to this last week at the dead of night. It was incredibly late. It got done at like one o'clock or something, which was rough. But it's the uh, sequel to a bit of a sleeper hit, I would say, Knives Out last year. Oh, shoot. I was going to look this up. Is it Ryan Johnson or Rian Johnson? Last year? 
or two years ago. I bet. I don't know. I uh, I've always pronounced it Ryan Johnson. I've always heard it pronounced Ryan Johnson. I think that Ryan Johnson's parents were just a bit hipster, and they wanted to give him a weird spelling. Okay. Okay. So it's the sequel to Knives Out from Ryan Johnson. Uh, came out a couple years ago. I don't actually know if it was two. It might have been more than that. But it was a bit of a sleeper hit, I think, that it got a lot of commercial and critical buzz. I think it did pretty good money at the box office. And then it won. I, did it win original screenplay or did it lose to, I want to say it won it, but it was nominated at the very least. And so uh, this is the much anticipated sequel. It's coming to Netflix later this month, I think, currently in theaters if you want to go out and support uh, starving artist Ryan Johnson. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was pretty excited for this. Elliot, what were your feelings going into the film, going into the into the theater to watch it? Um, I was pretty... I have to admit I was pretty apathetic. Um, I wasn't expecting bad things. I wasn't expecting good things. Uh, honestly, if this hadn't been like kind of a family movie night sort of thing, because a bunch of us went to it... Um, I probably would not have gone to see this in theaters. Uh, so why why don't we why don't we share our respective feelings towards Knives Out the first one? I'll I'll uh, I'll go first while Nathan very subtly gets out of his chair to do something else. I think that Knives Out one is pretty good. I think that it's really clever. I think it's really hard to subvert a genre and ryan johnson for good or ill has a certain fondness for trying to subvert genres to varying degrees of success in this case i think he did it pretty well because knives out uh, a bit of a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it already knives out is a whodunit where you think you know whodunit for most of the movie so I don't know, and it's just a, it's really fun, it's really well-paced, it's very funny. I think that Daniel Craig is having the time of his life in this role, uh, and his accent is hilarious. Uh, I'm really happy to see Ana de Armas in a leading lady kind of role, because I think that she's, she's a pretty underutilized actress, at least in mainstream movies. I think she's very talented, and she does a great job in this movie. And yeah, I really like the ensemble cast. On repeated viewings, it has gone down a little bit, just because I think the movie really leans heavily on the revelations and the freshness of it all. So when it doesn't have that, it kind of suffers, in my opinion. But it's still pretty good. I, w I would give it probably like a, uh, like a B. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, that makes sense that you were apathetic towards it. And I do think it's important to talk about our feelings towards Knives Out. Because at least for me personally, I feel like my feelings towards Knives Out very much somewhat informed how I feel about this movie. Because I love Knives Out significantly. It sounds like a, a lot more than you. I'm a sucker for subversion because I think you have to be very intelligent in order to see 
what the tropes of a genre are and how you can play with it in a clever way. Because I think you can have very lazy subversion. Elliot's making faces. But I think you have to be very clever in order to subvert it in a clever way. And I think Ryan Johnson does that in Knives Out. And I feel like I enjoy it just as much on repeat viewings. I love the ensemble cast. I think everyone in the cast is doing a really fantastic job. I agree. I love Ana de Armas and seeing her in this role that I think is somewhat different from other roles I've seen her in is a lot of fun. And I just think it's a really fantastic movie that the more I go back to it, I appreciate more of the elements of like the subtle racism of the family in the movie and how the whole film is just kind of about being nice and how being nice pays off in the end. And so I really like it. I think it's a really fantastically structured movie with a lot of fun Easter eggs and foreshadowings. So I was really excited going into this because I had seen a lot of the buzz that it was even better than the first one, that it was more, that it was bigger, that it was more fun and all this stuff. So I was really excited going into it. And I think that's a good place to any to start, at least for me, I was somewhat disappointed uh, with this film. I feel like it did not cleverly subvert things in the same way as Knives Out. We can get into that as we go, though. Uh, Elliot, what were your thoughts on this movie? You look kind of like a, a boiled frog over there for quite a bit of my comments. So what was what was the reason behind that face? Oh, I was just thinking about, A, how incredibly pretentious it was of you to say, it takes a lot of intelligence to see the tropes in a genre and then subvert them. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that, what are you talking about? I think it's pretty easy to pick out tropes. The tropes are, you know, by their very nature, obvious. They're, they're things, they're obvious things that define a genre or define a certain style. Wait, wait. I'm saying you have to be, I'm not saying you have to be clever to identify them. I'm saying you have to be clever in order to subvert them in a meaningful and like, intelligent way that it's not just like like the scary movies or something right where it's just like oh let's blow up the trope to some ridiculous extreme that knives out is a very clever way of like okay you're always looking for who did it so how do we keep you from looking for to how do we keep you from finding out who did it until the end oh we make you think you already know like we tell you who did it but then really that's right a red herring. So I think it's a very clever subversion of the trope in that sense. Have you seen the scary movies? I've seen most of one of them. I can't remember which one, but my understanding from seeing clips is that they're mostly just like ho ha ha. Here's an exaggerated version of a scary movie. If I'm well, wrong, I apologize scary movie fandom the other don't apologize to those guys it's their own fault for liking the scary movies uh no nah, i'm no nah, i take that back i you know if you like scary movies good on you i you should like what you like anyway no the other reason i was making that face is because i was thinking 
pat I was thinking through all the Ryan Johnson movies I have seen, um, which is not all that many, but he hasn't made all that many. And yeah, he really does like to subvert expectations, or at least try to come up with unique spins on uh, genre movies. Like, have you seen Looper? No. Well, that's that's a very... I think Looper is really good, and I think it's it's definitely a unique take on time travel movies, sort of in the way that Nope, for all its flaws, was a very unique take on, like, an alien movie. And then, of course, The Last Jedi uh, subverted our expectations of what a Star Wars movie should be, you know. I have no stake in that game. I, I don't... I don't particularly care about whether or not it's a good Star Wars movie, but it is certainly a bad movie. <laughs> so saying all that, what did you think of this movie? Oh, right, we're, we're talking about Glass Onion, yeah. Um, I, I, I have to say I'm pretty lukewarm on it. Um, so I, my, honestly, my feelings didn't really change. I, I felt the same leaving the movie as I did uh, coming into the movie. I was just like, yeah, yeah, all right, let's do this. And then when I was out, when I came out, I was like, yeah, all right, yeah, we did that. Well, I guess we can um, we can jump in then. So this one, I guess spoilers for the movie, obviously, that we're about to be discussing. So if you're trying to go in fresh, which I think is the best way to see a movie like this, maybe hit pause and wait until it comes out on Netflix and then watch it. But otherwise, it follows uh, Daniel Craig's detective from the last movie, Benoit Blanc, as he gets sucked into a retreat of sorts of a bunch of rich influencer-type people as they're brought to this billionaire's island for their yearly get-together, hangout sort of thing. And Benoit is brought into this because someone thinks uh, there's going to be a murder. So we already have kind of the classic whodunit setup of colorful characters with shifting motives and shifting allegiances. And we've got Benoit Blanc there. So it's pretty much the standard sort of who done it fair? I think there's two areas that I would like to highlight that I think are where this movie really struggles and falls far short of its predecessor. And I think the first one is structurally, this movie is not as interesting or fun to watch as Knives Out 1 because of the second act being essentially an extended flashback and then the third act being very abbreviated which is to say the pacing of the movie was not great <laughs> that's one area yes the second area is i think the ending is just plain not good yeah i i would definitely frown and nod to both of those points which i which i just did definitely the pacing and the structure i yeah they really undercut the movie and 
specifically about this second act uh, heel turn in the movie where basically we learn a bunch of new stuff about... Are we just spoiling? This is weird. We uh, we always talk about spoilers, but I don't think we... With the exception of Nope, we've never really done a movie this close to its release. Yeah, well, people can come back to it. I said, if you haven't seen it and you don't want it spoiled, watch it, come back. Okay, well, basically, we learned that Benoit Blanc has been working with one of the people on the uh, on the island. Her name is Andy. Or no, her name isn't Andy. It's, what is her name? Gosh, Andy Brand. Yeah, it's Cassandra Brand. Cassandra. Uh, that Cassandra, that Andy on the island is actually Andy's twin sister, Cassandra. She's been working with Benoit Blanc to try to unmask a conspiracy that murdered her twin sister. And I think that there's a very key difference in how this movie works its twist, uh, so to speak, and how Knives Out works its twist, because the way that Knives Out keeps its twist surprising is through sleight of hand, you know? Misdirection. It shows you one thing uh, and then reveals something more about that, but you just sort of took the first thing for granted. Whereas this, I would call, I would call this twist more like, I don't know, more like lying. Uh, not to imply like that it's unethical or anything but it's the movie is just telling you things that are not true and it's deliberately hiding things from you which is a lot less fun because it's a lot easier it's a lot more simple and it's there's obviously there's zero chance that the viewer can work yeah, one of the big, one of the most fun things about whodunits for people who like whodunits. I am not a particular fan of the genre. I haven't watched that much of it, but one of the things that people who do really like whodunits talk about is uh, working the mystery along with the characters and trying to trying to beat the movie to the revelations. And there's no room for that at all in Glass Onion because it's deliberately hiding crucial information from you. And then the way it delivers that information in this massive, extended, what essentially amounts to an exposition dump in the second act, I think is very, very clunky and really kills the pacing. So I guess for me, and maybe for you, and you just didn't, you know, you just didn't express this part of it, but for me, I would say that the, the problem of structure and the problem of pacing are intertwined in this movie. I would agree, and it it just is not, it makes the movie not as compelling, at least on a first viewing, maybe on a second viewing, knowing the twist, then you're kind of more empathizing and seeing Cassandra, even there at the beginning of the movie, but I feel like the first time seeing it, it suddenly revealed that a protagonist that I was supposed to be caring more about spent half the movie I didn't realize that I was supposed to be doing that, or I didn't realize the full context. And I definitely agree with you that the twist is not as much fun as Knives Out because there is no real chance for you to like notice it or guess it in the same way. And I think that even goes further 
that the final reveal of who the murderer is, uh, of it being um, Edward Norton's character, I told you right after we saw it, is kind of lame. That it's like, oh, it was the obvious person. Like I was kind of talking about at the beginning about how you have to be clever to subvert genre tropes in a clever way. This feels like a very lazy and lame way to subvert genre tropes. That every whodunit has a, oh, here's the really obvious person. And it feels like a really lazy, it feels really lame that the reveal is, it was the obvious person and you didn't guess that because there was all these other people. Uh, it's just not very much fun. And I, it, it really, I don't know. I, it made me kind of bummed. I was like, dang, that's the best he could come up with. What if it was just the obvious person? Like, I could do that. I could make a whodunit like that. So it just, it, the final reveal does not feel as fun, which is kind of, yeah, just a bummer, I think. Well, I wasn't, I didn't get depression uh, from this reveal, but I, I definitely agree that it is not a very, it's not a very impressive twist. Um, I don't even think it's particularly obvious. I mean, it just feels, I don't know. Maybe the reason it doesn't feel obvious to me is because I just wasn't very engaged with this movie. I, I So Edward Norton didn't really seem all that obvious to me, but then none of them really seemed all that obvious to me because I was just sort of paying half attention. And a big reason for that, I think, is that these characters are so much more one-dimensional and cliche and, uh, I don't know, just garish and obnoxious than the characters in Knives Out. They certainly were quirky in Knives Out. Uh, some of the more ancillary characters like the neo-nazi son were obviously more uh exaggerated than others but for the principal cast they felt a lot more human and a lot more believable than these people who are just who are really just walking stereotypes i mean they're they're the there's the stereotypical uh, there's a stereotypical politician who's who puts on a, a front of being for the common man while she's uh, doing insider trading and back backroom deals. And there's the stereotypical fashion model who's very ditzy and uh, who's an airhead and doesn't really think about things critically. And there's and then there there's the stereotypical scientist who's like, oh, the, the, the device isn't ready. We, we, we need no, we need more testing or else or else we'll create the Green Goblin or something. And then my shadow, even even Edward Norton's character is just the stereotypical billionaire, uh, shady billionaire who got his riches through duplicitous means and was actually his success is due to this person who he who he kind of screwed over so it just felt like you know a big part of the cultural conversation surrounding movies is about messaging in movies activism in movies you know political stuff in movies i we absolutely should not get into that 
uh, here and now. I think that there's a conversation to be had there. I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but I think here, this is a pretty blatant example of characters being just vehicles for a message, and not a particularly salient or competent message at that. Like, politicians lie, fashion, the fashion world is built on sweatshops and stupid people. What What are we, That that's news to you? Or that's supposed to be news to me? Yeah, I wrote in my notes as I was kind of generating questions that I think both this movie and the other movie are in some ways satires of the upper class, which I think makes sense because typically the whodunits revolve around upper class people and then, right, a very, the detective is never rich. So it's always the detective coming in kind of as an outsider and seeing that. And I wrote in my notes that I just, I think the satire is significantly more exaggerated in this movie. And I think this movie suffers for it for exactly the reasons that you were just saying, that the characters feel a lot significantly less human because the movie is depicting them as significantly less human. And I don't think it's necessarily trying to make maybe the points that you were pointing out. I think if you were to maybe boil down a message that it's kind of the whole idea of the title of Glass Onion, that it's like, it seems like it has a lot of layers, but you can see right through it. So I think you could make an argument that the satire is making that same point, that there's no point in adding more layers to like Dave Batista's character, because at the end of the day, it would be a glass onion that you could just see right through and be like, well, when it boils down to it, he's just, you know, a dirtbag trying to make money or kind of trying to grift. But I, I feel like that's a significantly less interesting point than Knives Out, where all the characters were human enough that they all were, it was believable that maybe they wouldn't commit murder, but maybe they would, that it was more on a knife's edge, that it's like, well, they're nice enough that they're doing this stuff, but at the same time, they seem just a little bit unhinged, just a little bit off. Whereas in this movie, they all seem so unhinged, it's very easy to believe that any of them would have committed the murder. And so... I just think it makes it a much less interesting watch because the characters are less interesting. I feel like we've come to the same conclusion about this movie for different reasons. So for you, the problem was you you thought that anyone could have committed the murders and that's like... It's because the characters all sort of feel the same, uh, if I'm reading you right. That's what made it not compelling to you. For me, it was not compelling because I just didn't care. I just didn't care about any of these characters because they're such they're such they're so they're such flat stereotypes. And what you said about the message of the movie possibly being about possibly being related to a glass onion, you know, a falseness, uh, a false depth uh, that doesn't actually exist in in these circumstances. I don't think that's a interesting or b even true. Like, for all their dirt bagginess, dirt bags remain humans, and a human is an inherently complex, multifaceted entity. So I don't, I, I, I don't think that's even right. 
And it's also, I mean, if that's true, that's also, like, the point of that is it's very simplistic to the point of oversimplifying things. And if you want to make a message movie or make a movie that has a very prominent message, then, like, <laughs> that's the best you can come up with is that complicated things are actually very simple or at least you want them to be very simple and i think that's that's the problem here is that ryan johnson wants these things to be simple he wants the all of the problems of the okay i'm probably extrapolating more than is more than the source material can actually sustain here but it feels to me like he wants the all of the problems of the world to just be be capable of being boiled down to men's rights activists on YouTube are just dirtbags and end of story. And politicians lie because they're in it for the money. End of story. And that's that's very simplistic and probably not actually all that accurate. I'm not trying to weigh in on either of those topics or any of these topics. I'm just saying that these topics... They're more complicated than a glass onion. Well, I think, I guess I just want to say two more things before we move on to maybe the more technical aspects of the movie so we don't get bogged down talking about the pacing and the ideas and the messaging. I think there's a fair argument to be made that any director who makes that a movie is never going to be able to produce as complex a truth as the world maybe necessitates which is to say that maybe art is always inherently limited in its ability to depict truth or knowledge of the universe, which is something I feel is true about movies. And so I think that's an argument that's maybe a bit more heady and a bit outside the realms of what we need to be discussing for the movie. For my last point on maybe the movie, I also think the ending is significantly less satisfying. I think it's an interesting play on the usual whodunit that the all physical evidence of Edward Norton's character having done it is destroyed. And so then Cassandra just starts trashing his building. I read a review, and I very much agree with this review, that was like it feels less like a very satisfying comeuppance and more like the good guys lose and then throw a hissy fit and then they end up winning by accident. That like after destroying everything, then all of the people flip and say, oh yeah, we will testify or whatever. That it, it, it's just a very unsatisfying finale, I think. And it doesn't leave me... In the same way that, like, I love, like, the final shot of Knives Out is such a fantastic final shot of her standing on the house looking down at them with her cute little cup. It's a very satisfying finale, and then this one instead, I think, is a much less satisfying finale, which maybe is the point, but as I think we've kind of talked about already, at this point in the movie, I was kind of checked out in terms of trying to give the movie as much benefit of the doubt as I would give a movie that I was enjoying more. Because by this point in the movie, I had kind of become significantly less enamored with it 
because of these pacing and structural issues that we've kind of been talking about. But do you have anything else you want to say before we go to the acting or the cinematography or the music? Yeah, just to your point about movies having to be limited by by virtue of being movies, I definitely agree with that. And I'm not looking for Glass Onion to solve these problems or even deliver like an undergraduate level analysis of them. But I think that there's a difference between simplifying something and making something simplistic. And I think Glass Onion makes these issues simplistic. And again, I just want to clarify, I'm not saying that men's rights activists who parade their girlfriends around in front of the camera in revealing outfits to own the libs or something are not dirtbags, because they clearly are. I'm just saying that there's more to them, there's more to the issues that pertain to that than this movie acknowledges, and I find that, and I find its simplicity to be very uncompelling because the points it's making are so simplistic and so simple that it's just saying that these people are dirtbags, and I'm like, yeah, okay, and? So? I already knew that, and you're not really adding anything to my knowledge of that. You, and the way that you're making this point is very simplistic. So that that is the that's the core of my my problem with this movie's messaging, with the thematic elements that are at play here. I just want to say that Elliot did not think we should do an episode on Glass Onion because he didn't think he'd be able to talk about it for long enough, and now he has gotten very heated multiple times so you were wrong and i was right elliot (laughs) yeah yeah to talk about some acting i think all of the actors do a really great job after we just spent so long trashing all the characters i do think everyone does a pretty good job of performing as the fairly one note characters they've been given Uh, i think dave batista is a lot of fun in his role I think Daniel Craig continues to be having an immense amount of fun. I love Edward Norton when he's playing characters that are basically just Edward Norton because Edward Norton is, by all accounts, a bit of a tool. So whenever he's playing a tool, I think... Oh, Nathan, now we're, we're never going to have Edward Norton as a guest now. Oh, no. Oh, no. Who's going to come on to talk about Fight Club with us? Well, we're just going to have to get Fincher, you know, or Brad Pitt. Yep, okay. I'll take one of those two, yeah. But I think in terms of standouts in the cast, I think Janelle Monet absolutely knocks it on the park playing what is essentially two different characters. Uh, she does a fantastic job playing Andy and then Cassandra Brand, if those are actually two, whatever. So I think the actors are all doing a very, they are not contributing to any of my issues with this movie. Yeah. I agree. I I I really like um, Daniel Craig in this role. I would honestly be down for more Knives Out movies just to see, just to see more of him. And I am kind of sad that they took the emphasis off of like the investigation portion of the Who Done It in this movie to put more focus on this, put more focus on this huge exposition dump and basically all of the second and third act drama where all really 
pretty much all of the investigation stuff is either handled by Cassandra or is just discounted entirely. And Cassandra is... I agree with you. I think that Janelle Monet, she stole the show for me. I think that she's probably... She's a worthy successor to Ana de Armas in the first one, even though I don't think her character is quite as compelling. I think that her performance is definitely on par with that. But yeah, I don't think her character is as compelling, and I definitely don't think it's as compelling as Benoit Blanc. So her investigation scenes, while skillfully acted, were still not as much fun because Daniel Craig is just having so much fun with the hamming it up with the accent and the clothes and stuff. And I legitimately enjoy the procedural aspects of movies about detectives. Like I think in some episode I mentioned that I really like detective stories as opposed to mysteries because I like the, the nitty gritty kind of ins and outs of collecting evidence and interviewing suspects and stuff like that. And I, I just, yeah, I preferred it when Benoit was doing it. it. Concerning the other characters, I don't know. Their performances weren't bad, but God, the characters were just, were just so lame that I, I think they were, they were beyond saving. You know, it's not, oh gosh, what's her name? The, the politician lady, what's her actor's name? Catherine Haynes. Yeah, so it's it's not Catherine Haynes' fault, and it's not the other actors' faults that they're playing such one-dimensional caricatures of these types of people. But yeah, there there's just nothing really for them. Whereas with Benoit Blanc, you have this hammy kind of persona for Daniel Craig Daniel Craig to really lean lean into. And Janelle Monet, you have this dichotomy between the two characters that she plays for her to really sink her teeth into. There's not really anything comparable in the other characters for the actors to really flesh out and make their own. Maybe you don't. I know you're you're not a big actor uh, or anything. And I'm not saying that I am. I'm just saying that I don't even know what I am saying. I'm just saying that there's not a whole lot of material for these actors to really show their stuff with. Uh, I'd also like to shout out, though, Ethan Hawke showing up for one scene in a cameo. That was fun. <laughs> Are we sure that's who that was? Yeah, that was definitely Ethan Hawke. All right. You're not a diehard Hawke fan like me, Elliot. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, in terms of other elements in the movie, I actually did casually listen to the music yesterday. It sounds like it's a nice little harpsichord playing the theme, which I think is really neat. I think it's a very fun, jaunty little theme. Uh, I thought the music was all pretty good. Uh, the cinematography is okay. I think, I want to say, either it was shot on film or they added a grain effect to make it look like it was shot on film which I'm not sure why. I don't think it really contributed much to uh, the film. But yeah, it was neat. The technical elements of the movie are okay, I guess. Uh, the last thing I'd say, just in terms of stuff that's not about the kind of themes and messaging of the movie, is uh, I do think this maybe was 
this movie was maybe a hair funnier than the first Knives Out, at least for the first act. Elliot's shaking his head, so he disagrees with that. But I thought it was pretty funny. I thought the scene where Benoit solves the murder before it even happens or whatever was hilarious. The woman not realizing that sweatshop didn't mean place where they make sweats was very humorous as well. Those were the two jokes that I found particularly funny. But overall, the first like hour of the movie I thought was very funny, very well done. It was just once that second act exposition dump, as Elliot has been calling it, as soon as that occurs, I feel like the movie really starts to fall flat. And then I really think it face plants the ending with both a very lame twist and then a very lame resolution to said twist. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the humor. I didn't think that this movie was particularly funny at all. I think that, and I guess you were sitting next to me so you can tell me if this is true or not, or if you noticed. I think that it never got like a really good laugh out of me. I The most it got was like maybe a reserved chuckle. I th- yeah, I think I might have detected a few reserved chuckles from you. Well, I, I, I mean, those things, they're, I don't usually really like the kind of humor that you're describing, at least in the second one, like the joke about her not realizing that a sweatshop, her thinking that a sweatshop is where you make sweatpants. I mean, I don't know if people like that exist or not. I don't really think so. I certainly hope not. But those kinds of jokes that are derived of people just being, like, too stupid to breathe are never very funny to me. Like, all of the funniest jokes, all of the jokes that I find the funniest in The Simpsons, none of them are about Homer just being an idiot. I I just don't find that funny at all. Maybe it's because it's too ridiculous. Maybe, Maybe it's because, I don't know, I'm just an elitist and I don't like the idea that stupid people exist, even though I'm probably one of them. But yeah, I just, just that kind of humor just does nothing for me. And then the one about Ben the one about Benoit solving the mystery immediately, that that's pretty funny, I, I will admit. And I think that pro- the funniest moments are probably from Benoit Blanc, thanks to the energy of Daniel Craig and some, you know, some admittedly good gags. Uh, especially the one I think the one that I found funniest is probably just the visual gag of his swimwear. You know, he's got, uh, like, a button-down shirt and, and shorts, like like he's on a beach from the 1930s or something. That, that was pretty funny. Uh, I liked that quite a bit. But other than that, yeah, I the joke about the guy who kept on showing up intermittently, Daryl, I think his name was, yeah, that, that kind of thing, that just, like, non-sequitur, out-of-nowhere, stupid kind of humor, just, just, just does nothing for me. Yeah, I also think that guy was supposed to be, like, a red herring that we thought was going to factor in, but then didn't. But there was never a moment in the movie where I ever thought he was going to factor in because he might as well have been wearing a shirt with a red herring on it. Like he was so blatantly obvious, like just a gag to be like, haha, you thought this was going to mean something and it didn't that I, I saw from like a billion miles away that he was never going to impact the plot in the slightest. So, yeah, I would agree. I didn't find him all that funny. 
Well, if he had ended up being the killer, I would have legitimately hated that. Like, I think the reveal of Edward Norton being the killer is pretty underwhelming. But if it had been Daryl, I would have been... That, that would have downgraded this movie like a full letter grade, uh, <clears throat> in my opinion. I think if it had turned out that, like, Daryl was, like, a hired assassin or, like, a guard and, like, some ultra elite, something like that. Like, if it turned out at the end of the second act that that's who he was and that he had been hired by Edward Norton to kill uh, the woman and then, like, I think that would have been neat. This idea that I've just come up with now while we're recording, I would have been fine with that kind of twist just because it would have been ridiculous. Well, yeah, I don't want to give the impression that like I hated this movie or I think it's all bad. I think that again, the performances are pretty strong. You know, it, the reason that this is one of those movies where what I have to say is mostly about the things that are bad and the things that are not bad just aren't really all that remarkable which is why i would struggle to sort of shout them out or spin them into any kind of significant discussion but i do want to shout out one scene the uh the scene where the central murder actually happens with duke i think is pitch perfect like the way that it built tension where you knew that somebody was going to die, uh, and it kept on cutting away to the Mona Lisa's case slamming shut uh, with all the noises and stuff. I thought that was great. Like I was legitimately, I was legitimately tense, thinking like, "Who's gonna die? Where's it gonna come from? How's it gonna happen?" Uh, and the the way the way that the scene was constructed and the sound design of the case thudding shut. Uh, infrequently infrequently enough to not give you a pattern but frequently enough that you're always looking for it listening for it i thought that was a really good way to build tension and then honestly the murder itself was fairly milk toast just like the poisoning i mean whatever i would prefer i would prefer something a lot more violent and gory um but we didn't get that. But the the scene building up to it, I think that's that's definitely a highlight of this movie. Probably my favorite scene of the film. Yeah. Well, like I like I said, everything up until that second act twist where it goes into a flashback, I really like. So yeah, that scene was also probably one of my favorites in the film. Either that or the scene at the beginning when the people get the box and then they're calling each other. I found that scene fairly funny as well as I like the uh, split screen sort of effects they put in to show each member. But yeah, everything up until that second act twist, I think is really, really good. It was keeping me guessing. I was engaged. I thought it was kind of, I had introduced some interesting sort of ideas about these characters and then the second half of the movie or the back half of the film just really did not pay off in a meaningful way. Also, I don't know about you, but that scene reminded me a ton of that scene near the end of Boogie Nights. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? The one with Alfred Molina? What? I don't think you like... <laughs> the scene near the end when they go to sell drugs to the guy because they're like completely out of money. I don't remember that. All right, whatever. I think that's pretty much all I've got, so we can jump into ratings then, sounds like. 
Yeah, I'll go first, I guess. <clears throat> so for, you know, I'll, I'll do this like like the Shark Tank. Uh, the Sharks on Shark Tank. Our mother really likes that show, so sometimes I sometimes I watch it with her. Uh, you know, for for the reasons I've stated, this movie, the, the pacing and the structure just wasn't there. I, I can't invest a good grade in the kind of movie that has this kind of simplistic moral messaging <clears throat> that is... Uh, the, where the characters are so one-dimensional, I don't think there's much potential in this award in this for award season. And so, for those reasons, I'm giving it a C. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, cute little <laughs> joke there, Elliot. Um, <laughs> I'd say for a lot of the same reasons that Elliot said, I think I really enjoy this up until that halfway point or a bit past halfway point. And yeah, so I think it's like a 6.7, 6.6 or so for me on, it was, it, it was a disappointing film. I told Elliot, I experienced two hard disappointments between this and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio that they were both movies I was super excited for. And they both, um, fell much short of my expectations for them. So very unfortunate. To segue that, though, here's some movies that maybe won't disappoint you. Elliot, what's your recommendation for this film? My recommendation for this movie is a movie that we've actually already talked about, which is kind of cheating, uh, but we talked we talked it over during our little break uh, that you won't even have noticed because of Nathan's deft editing hands. But I'm going to go with Parasite. Uh, the movie by Bong Joon-ho, the Best Picture winner that we have talked about. So if you want the full disquisition on why Nathan and I both like that movie, you can read that or listen to that episode of the podcast. The reason I'm reviewing it, for, or not reviewing it, recommending it for Glass Onion is because I think it does a much better job of structuring itself to ha- dole out reveals as the movie progresses and definitely keeps you guessing not about who did any one thing because obviously it's not a whodunit but about the dynamics of the family and the helpers uh the rich family and the poor family and then the old helpers of the poor family um and does a much better job of keeping those making sure that the movie always feels fresh by sort of piecemeal handing out these kinds of reveals that definitely that really keep you guessing and thereby keep you engaged and it's yeah i think it does a lot better i think it does it a lot better than glass on yep great movie watch the movie and then uh listen to our episode for our full thoughts uh we're gonna keep it in korea for my my recommendation for this movie i'm gonna recommend the handmaiden by uh park jan walk who is a fairly famous Korean director who got famous around the same time as Bong Joon-ho. The Handmaiden was his second big hit that kind of made it across the pond in some ways, the much larger pond than the Atlantic. It's a movie very similar to Glass Onion in that it's also a movie with a lot of peeling back layers, a lot of very interesting structural sort of twists and playing with time somewhat 
And I think it does it a lot better than Glass Onion. I think it's very similar to Parasite, actually, in a lot of ways. I don't want to go too deep into plot details because I think it's a movie that is extremely fun to watch each successive twist fall into place. I will have to warn you, though, the movie is a very, very hard R rating. So if you don't find that very palatable, don't watch that and watch Parasite instead. But if you're okay with that, so if you're not our mother who has so many issues with the movies we watch, yeah, watch The Handmaiden. It's a very fun movie. I have some issues with it, but for the most part, I think it's a really cool flick. I feel like it's important to point out for the sake of the listeners, I have not seen The Handmaiden. Nathan has, and he has told me about it. And the hard R content he's referring to is sexual in nature, not violent in nature. So if that impacts your decision, that's something that I think you should be aware of. That's something that... The only reason I'm bringing this up is because that is why I would not watch it. So, you know, if there's anyone else who's like me who doesn't really really like that kind of thing, then I think you should be aware of that. Yes, that is true. But I still think it's a very good movie. I think Elliot should watch it. I think you would enjoy it. I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) Well, rats. All right, well, we've we've come to the end of uh, another episode. Nathan has learned that life is hard and full of disappointments at long last. I knew you would get there eventually. I wouldn't say life is hard. I'm kind of on easy street right now, but it is certainly this Oscar season. I think I told you like a week ago that I feel like all my favorite directors are really fumbling the bag on me this Oscar season. So far, Martin McDonough is the only one who's come through and really served up a a, a really strong film. This Oscar season is full of disappointments for sure. If you can't tell, we don't ever we don't have a script for the cl- opening or closing banter section. So <laughs> we don't have a script for the middle section either. Yeah, but we've got notes and we've got thoughts. It's more structured than this. Hmm. All right. Well, that's that's quite enough of that. Uh, thanks for tuning in for another week of Magellan's of the Movies, and we'll be back next week, hopefully with a better movie. But we'll see. Bear you later.